Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. FD officials have come out warning. Yes, they've come out warning since that's a popular thing to do today. But warning against the use of puberty blockers in minors. Indicating things including severe brain swelling, vision loss, among other things. I'll share them with you in just a little bit. This is like yet another reason why we should not be playing with experimental drugs on children and playing into the gender ideology that is truly damaging and might I outright say damning some kids in terms of medical health. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Some interesting news on the gender front, so stay with me. Did anyone else hear the news that broke over the weekend that Candace Cameron Burr, known for from Full House to Fuller House to anyone who loves the Hallmark movie, she's been there, that a TikTok video of JoJo Siwa was posted and she claimed Candace Cameron is the rudest celebrity she has ever met. I was really intrigued by this, but the story unfolded. Candace Cameron called JoJo up on the phone and the conversation is fascinating. I think it's a really good example of Christian witness in terms of when someone really, you know, says that we've hurt them, how do we handle that, especially in a public scenario? Joining me now on Trending is Devin Shat. He's the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find them at fathersofstjoseph.org. We'll post the link on social media. We're going to talk about how God allows us to fall to sin for the purpose of going deeper. And now we'll dive into how the enemy loves to work in our lives and what Devin refers to. Devin, welcome to Trending as the six darts of the enemy and how those can really make their way into our lives and be major disruptors for our day-to-day and ultimate holiness. Devin, welcome to Trending. Let's unpack these seven darts of the enemy that you talk about. Yeah, that sounds great, Timory. Um, well, I think the where we can really start is why are there so few great saints today? You know, there are a lot of saints today that are living, um, but I think why is it that maybe we're not tapping into that glory, that power that God has for us? And I think it's because we've got an enemy, and that enemy is an expert at convincing us to you know, live his methods, his ways rather than God's. And so he uses this little process. The key is it all begins with this. We have, uh, I guess, a goal. Our goal is heaven. And if we're parents, if as I'm a father, my goal, my vocational task is to lead my family to heaven. And so the devil, he's going to attack me. And he's got these six starts, which I I, I, the six starts of the devil, which is a great strategy in a sense from the satanic perspective to take us out. And the first start is doubt. And that is the key. That is the 
I guess, the spearhead of his strategy. Because as Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 says, says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so if we're not trusting in God, if we don't have faith in God, we're going to lose. We're not only not going to become saints, but we're not going to please God. We're not going to be pleasing to him. And we could be, in a sense, not doing his will. And so the devil's goal, right off the bat, his, his first objective is to get you to doubt God's greatness, his generosity, his benevolence, his goodness, his love, all of that. And that's where it begins. And can we all not relate to that? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, right. that's where it all begins. And doubt can lead many people to just outright shut down that self doubt, mm. doubt in others, doubt in doubting the culture and the world that there is any hope. And it can really lead us to shut down and have the sense of despair or even sometimes just recklessness in our behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. Because if you think about it, when you're doubt, you're not only doubting yourself. But you're doubting that God has your back, that God is going to grant you the courage, the strength, the ability to do whatever task, whatever call he has for you. And so when we doubt, the next step, the next fiery dart that the devil launches against us is discouragement, anti-courage. He wants to rob us of this courage to do great things for the Lord or to step out. And, you know, I love evangelization because you can meet someone you barely know and say, you get in a conversation, is there anything I can pray for you for? Or, you know, you, 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 you say things like that to try to get them to think about God, to invite them in and to really actually do something for them. But when we're, our courage is stolen from us, we're so much on the defense. We're so afraid of injecting. Instead, we're protecting ourselves. And that's what the devil wants. He doesn't want injectors of Christ into society. He wants us on the defense protecting ourselves. And so doubt will always lead to discouragement and anti-courage. And when, we're, when we lack that courage, then we start to beat ourselves up because we know we're not living in the grace of God. We know we're not living in the power of God. And so then we begin dep- deprecating ourselves. That's the third D. And oftentimes when we deprecate ourselves, self-deprecation is a fantastic tool of the devil because what he does is he whispers lies about us that are half-truths. So maybe we didn't do something. Maybe like, for example, we lie, so he calls us a liar. Or maybe we've been lazy, so he calls us lazy. So then we begin to listen to these lies, and then we begin to think them, believe them, and actually repeat them to ourselves. How many times, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, I don't have what it takes. We say these things to ourselves, and then they become our mantra, and then the devil can go on vacation because we're playing the, you know, the play button of his lies all the time. And then another side to this, though, is we not appreciate or deprecate ourselves, but then we begin to deprecate others. We begin to depreciate them. And why do we do this? Because we feel so bad about ourselves that we want to feel better about ourselves that we try to bring people down below us. And one of the ways when we're fallen is that we try to take down, you know, character assassination or criticalness or rash judgment. And so we go from doubt to discouragement, deprecation, and then that deprecation will usually lead to some form of disobedience to really make us feel better. You know, so you got the guy who feels weak and he hasn't really been courageous in any aspect of his life. And so he might appeal to lust or you have someone, like I was saying, who feels negatively about themselves. So they compare themselves and make rash judgments about others. And see, this is where the devil really wants. He moves us 
gradually to this space of disobedience to the point where we don't even realize it. And then mm. that's where he rubs, when we wake up from that, that thing, whatever that thing is, we think is going to make us feel better. This act of disobedience against our, our trust in God, it's, a, it's actually against trusting in God. And when we wake up from that act of sin, the devil is there to rub our noses in our sinful poop, right? And so he's there. And then that's when we despair. And we ultimately, mm-hmm. it can lead to ultimate despair if we're not careful. So that's kind of, that's his agenda, his, his way of, you know, taking us slowly or gradually to the point of despair where we no longer think that God is for us, but God has abandoned us and God is against us. Hmm. No, it's interesting that all of this ends ultimately in what we would argue is despair and death. You know, even just looking at how it starts with the doubt, Hmm. that self-doubt, that doubt in the culture, the doubt in God, the doubt in others, to, you know, feeling Hmm. discouraged, that self-deprecation where you just start to define yourself according to your sin and your mistakes and how you mentioned how that next leads to disobedience. Can you explain a little further the connection to disobedience? Uh, within the culture, within the vocation, uh, individual vocations, but also as, you know, a person of faith as well? Sure. Yeah. So that's a great question, actually. So that makes it super practical. So I'm a father. And when I begin on this route of doubt, um, and I begin to doubt who God has made me to be, or I doubt his plan for me. And then I begin to, you know, eventually I get to that where it's discouragement, deprecation. I'm talking ill about myself, maybe about others. What I want to do is I actually want to build myself back up. I want to try and because we can't use human beings cannot stay in self-doubt and self-deprecation too long without going insane. So what we do is we either try to numb ourselves with coping mechanisms and comforts, or what we will do is we'll commit some kind of action to try to make ourselves feel better. So say like I had a friend who was in He's an incredible contractor, um, very talented guy, but he would begin to have this self-doubt and this self-loathing, and he began stopping by the bar every night on the way home from work. He knew he wasn't supposed to. He knew he had a family to get home to dinner, you know, and and then it was, you know, chewing on onions to cover up the alcohol, you know, the, the smell of his breath, and then pretty soon he's, you know, he's deep in his alcoholism, and he's, it's destroying his family life. We often will, or, or even with the church, like you were saying, our faith in God, when we begin to doubt God's plan for us, like for, for example, somebody might be maxed out on having children right now and they need a break. Well, mm-hmm. what do we do? Well, we want to come together. Okay, contraception. So we commit that act of disobedience, which we think is going to actually solve our problems, but it actually creates more problems, especially in the arena of contraception. We see the divorce rates soar. So mm-hmm. that, that's, that's what I mean by where that deprecation, that feeling of lowliness about ourselves, self-loathing, self-hatred, or uh, something along those lines will cause us to try to have a counter-reaction to make ourselves feel better by ourselves or to create a solution, a human solution to a divine problem. But what is God doing? God all the while is calling us to faith. He's calling us mm-hmm. to trust in him. And that's the antidote to all these fiery darts of the devil is, uh, that are listed in what well, basically hinted at in Ephesians 6. What does St. Paul says? He says, how do you cast out or, or quench the fiery darts of the devil? He says, you have to have the breastplate of faith. And 
as we know, faith is, you know, more than just an intellectual assent to just a group of core beliefs or to the creed. Faith is trust in Christ. Faith is trust in God. It's to have actually Christ's faith that he had in the garden. We need that faith because every day we're entering, in a sense, a mini Garden of Gethsemane. And that is the place of battle for each and every one of us. Mm -hmm. I love, Devin, that you mentioned, if you're just joining us, that's Devin Schatt, the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph. Devin, I love that you mentioned that in the midst of these six darts of the devil, these challenges that enter into our lives from doubt, discouragement, deprecation, disobedience, despair, death, that the antidote is faith. And what makes me so grateful is that faith is a theological virtue. It's infused grace. You know, yes, we can, you know, ask for faith. We can hope for faith. uh, But faith isn't something we just do on our own. And I'm grateful for that because that means that God is going to infuse that grace of fidelity to him in us. And it's one reason, one of many, for praying that daily rosary. You know, we pray for those three theological virtues of faith, hope, and charity. Oh, I love that very short prayer that has been passed down through the years. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. (laughs) Even if you have, you know, great faith, even if you, you know, read your scripture every day, maybe, you know, you go to mass daily or, you know, whatever it is, wherever you're at, to still pray that prayer, I think is so profound because God is this great mystery and there's a battle of principalities and powers. There's a demonic realm fighting for our souls, pulling us in one direction as God pulls in the other, but our free will enters in and our free will can very beautifully be open and predisposed to faith or it can be shut off to faith and that's where our role is in this whole context of are we open to god or are we not and are we creating a lifestyle and making choices that are open to the theological virtue of faith entering into our lives so that we're not succumbing to the ways of the devil yeah I love the idea of it laying dormant, uh, you know, that idea where it's, I did, maybe you didn't say it, maybe that's what came to my mind when you were talking is that it's in us. The Holy Spirit has infused it into us in baptism and then through the sacraments. Uh, faith is living, it's alive in us, but a lot of times it, it goes dormant. And it's like someone who hasn't, you know, worked out for a while or exercised they still have the capacity for it. It's just that their muscles have atrophied. Their lungs aren't at that level of, you know, basically being able to breathe at a fast rate, all that. Their heart isn't able to pump the blood as fast, but it's there if they just begin to work it. And that's what God wants us to do. Little by little, he wants us to make exercises, if you will, of faith. Little acts of faith. Lord, I trust in you, even though this doesn't look good. And I love what St. Ignatius of Loyola says. He says that, a lot of times God will allow the desolation, even though the desolation is not from God. And when we're talking about spiritual desolation, that heaviness of spirit, that discouragement that the devil casts upon us and God will allow it. Why? So that we can turn to him in faith, strengthen that muscle of faith, so to speak, so that we can resist the bigger temptations later on because he wants to make us warriors. He wants to make us warrior lovers who can change this world. But if we're always defeated by the slightest little inconvenience or setback or trial or challenge or tribulation, what he can't, he can't use us at the capacity he needs us to actually change this world. So he gives us these little opportunities to actually become very resilient 
And faith is the key to all of it. You know, it is absolutely the key. It's the spearhead for the spiritual life. That's Devin Shatt, the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph. We're going to come back talking about how God actually does allow us to fall through our free will uh, in sin, but for the purpose of going deeper, for the purpose of a deeper relationship with us. God doesn't choose for us to fall. He doesn't choose for us to sin, but he allows it. And it is a means for our sanctification. So stay with us here on Trending. We're going to be talking about the controversy with Candace Cameron and much more. So what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Full House actress Candace Cameron has come under fire this week for being called one of the rudest celebrities that JoJo Siwa has ever met. I'll explain a little bit more of the whole story. The story is fascinating as it's unfolded because Candace Cameron actually called up JoJo saying, what did I do to you? Like, she she was felt really bad that this was said, and she couldn't recall what had happened. I'll share with you a little bit about this story. It's really neat, and I think there's a lot to be pulled from how we can be upfront when perhaps we've made a mistake or when we don't know how we've hurt someone, but we're open to perhaps correction. I think Candace showed an example of being a Christian witness, especially for someone who is a Christian in Hollywood. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I'll give you the latest news from the FDA saying that children should not be taking puberty blockers, a huge warning from the FDA, confirming the fact that there's Little knowledge about the long-term impact of puberty blockers, but what we do know is bad news. Joining me now here on Trending is Devin Shat. He's the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph. You can find them at fathersofstjoseph.org. It's fathersofstjoseph.org. Post the link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. If you've not heard the exciting news yet, I am expecting baby number two's birth in December. We're so excited. And I've shared a little video with some ultrasound images and the heartbeat of the baby. So be sure to go and check that out on my social media. Follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Again, joining me now is Devin Shat. And one of the great challenges and dilemmas of the world today is that question of why does God allow bad things to happen? And even more so, people will ask the question, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people or for good people to really struggle and grapple with sin? And so we're going to talk about how God does allow us to fall, to sin, but for the purpose of going deeper. God gave us this incredible gift of free will because he created us us out of to be with him But that required, if we were going to be able to freely choose to be with him, that we had to freely be able to choose not to be with him, which is such a difficult thing to sometimes wrap your head around. But if he didn't give us that free will, we'd be robots, perfectly doing everything God wanted, and that would be slavery. So, Devin, let's unpack this theme of how God actually does allow us to fall, but so that we can be closer to him. Yeah, I think that's great. I love the robots thing and all that. I, I think that's so true. Um, and by the way, congratulations on being pregnant. <laughs> but I Thank think you. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, yeah, so I, well, I think a little bit of context would be good. Years ago, a friend of mine called me and we were talking about 
just his life. And he mentioned that he, though he was living a good virtuous life, inevitably he would kind of cycle around and return to this one certain sin. And it wasn't like he did it all the time, but it was a reoccurring mini theme in his life. And he said, I just don't understand why I do it. I don't understand why it keeps happening. And I, I wish it would go away. And I, I think about all of us. I mean, how many of us would say, I, you know, I can't stop it. You know, I wish it would go away. Or why do I keep doing this, whatever, even though deep down, I don't want to do it. And so why is God not healing me of it? Doesn't he care? Doesn't he want me healed? And I think that's really real. I think for a lot of us, we can feel that way. And it was in that, in that conversation, I thought, yeah, why is that? And then it really inspired me to write this little mini booklet called The Thorn. And in that, I outlined seven reasons, basically, why the Lord allows the thorn, as St. Paul says, to remain. And remember that quote from 2 Corinthians where Paul says, unless the greatness of revelation should exalt me, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, an angel of Satan to buffet me. And for which three times I sought the Lord that it might depart from me. But God said to him, my grace is sufficient for thee, for power is made perfect in weakness. And so what's going on there is God's allowing a thorn, a real problem in St. Paul's life. This is a saint. This is one of the greatest saints of the church. And why? Because God's power is going to be even greater in St. Paul's weakness. And so a lot of times we all have thorns. We all have things that appear to be curses in our lives or things that hold us back. And we're thinking, God, why are you doing this? But I think a lot of times we we tend to look at sin like weeds. You know, you go out in your yard and anyone knows if you cut off a weed that's above the surface, you just snip it at the surface, one week later, you're going to have that weed back again. And so that's like when we say, God, heal me of this sin that I'm doing, whether it's lust or greed or comparisons or judgments, whatever it is. Uh, God heal me of this weed. And but below the surface, there's a root system. And that's what God, that's why I believe God allows that suffering or that temptation or whatever it is to exist, sometimes even a lesser sin, because there's an even greater sin deeper. So the thorn often exists because God wants us to go deeper. He wants us to acknowledge, wow, I've got this problem, but then and invite the Lord in. And the Lord says, hey, wait a minute, there's something even beneath this that we need to get to the root of it and and discover why you're actually acting in this way and sin. So the thorn keeps us from exalting ourselves, from being prideful, and it actually allows the Lord to dig deep with us if we if we allow him to go deep in us to find out that there's something lower, something even deeper that's existing in us that is more problematic, right? So maybe maybe if I lust, well, what's going on? Maybe I've got a real wound with women, or maybe if I'm greedy, it's because I lack security with God. You know, maybe if I'm comparing, it's because I don't love the person that I am, which is a much deeper problem than comparisons. Because if I don't love the person that I am, I'm not receiving the gift of who I am that God has given me, which is a great insult to God one of the greatest, I think. So God often allows the thorn to exist so that we we will invite him to go deeper to find out what the bigger problem and issue is in our lives. And Devin, I think what's sometimes so hard about this in our 21st century is that we have to do some real soul searching and be very honest with ourselves 
and have some downtime in order to achieve mm. the point mm-hmm. of being open to this uh, and seeing, mm. you know, the bigger picture and ultimately making that step toward God. But the world is so noisy today, you know, all of the notifications mm. on our phones, you know, the busyness of our lives and how much we really do commit to, you know, even the fact that so many of us can so easily be far removed from nature, which nature leads us. We talked about this, especially on Monday here on Trending. We were joined by Dr. Nicholas Carderas, a psychologist, and he was talking about how we've lost a sense of just pondering, you know, the beautiful yes. and contemplation and how contemplation leads us to this soul searching of ultimately what you're talking about. Yes, yes, that's beautiful, by the way. Um, but exactly. And so, what God will do, and this is the way, no matter how busy you are, you're right. God is calling us to the silence because that's where, so like um, the way, I, uh, I don't know. I just think that you look at the Desert Fathers, for example. They, In a way, they were going out to the desert to be away from the world. But what did they encounter in the desert? Satan. Why? Because they were entering the battleground. What happens when you're in the silence? It's just like taking it. You look at a creek water. It seems really clear, but you take a stick and you start stirring. The, you hit the bottom of the bed. You start stirring, and then all that mud comes up, and the water's brown. Well, that mud is at the bottom of our soul. And when we go to prayer, we start stirring with God, and God's going to lift all that up and say, "Okay, now we got to deal with this." And so that's where prayer. But I think I think what we can do is easily, practically, very practically recognize in our lives. How do I know if there's a deeper problem? And that's what, you know, therapists and psychologists call triggers. You know, it's, it's an, a negative emotional response to a person, a context or a situation that causes us to be, say, frustrated, jealous, envious, lustful, whatever it is, angry. And it's in those moments that God is calling us back to the silence, like you're saying, and he's saying, he, he wants us to in, be very real with him and say, now, why was I acting like that? Why did I get jealous like that? And then what God often will do, it's, it's really like the echo of the wound, you know, because we feel something. We're like, boy, that feels familiar. I don't like the way that feels. But when we invite the Lord in, we're saying, Lord, come in behind all these barriers, these coping mechanisms, this pseudo personality that I've developed. Come behind those barriers and show me the lies that I've come to believe about myself and about others. Dispel them and show me the truth. And oftentimes what the Lord will do is he will take us back to a point in our life, a memory or something, and we'll understand, boy, that's why I feel like this today. But the Lord says, now, what I want to show you is that you don't have to. Because, for example, if I hate authority and, I, and, I'm, and, and a priest is telling me what to do from the pulpit and I'm getting enraged inside or resistant – well, maybe if I invite the Lord in, I might find out, well, maybe my parents abandoned me or misused their authority or neglected me. And that's why I have this kind of authority wound. And so, but God says, look, how did I use my authority? Look at the cross. That's what real authority is. The authority to love, the authority to sacrifice, the authority to die for one another, to save another. And so I think that when these triggers happen, they, they're summons, little summons from the Lord to say, okay, Let's meet. Let's talk. And this is where I love what you just said a minute ago. God wants us to be very frank with him. I was talking to a guy about this today. You know, he's talking about all this stuff going on in his life. And I'm like, you know what? You need to tell the Lord that you want to be famous. You need to tell the Lord that you want prestige. You need to tell the Lord that you want all these things, respect and stuff, and you're not getting it. But 
but here's the deal. You need to let him tell you why that's not quite right. You know what I mean? Because that's what God wants. He wants an honest conversation so he can get to the bottom of it and show us what we really want. You know what I mean? And, 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 when, and, and then that's where he can work and start to heal us. And, you know, as you were talking, it made me think about how important self-possession is of having, you know, this sense of self, self-awareness, self-control, self-knowledge. All of this is so important that we don't really talk about, you know, having that self-possession, you know, kind of having yourself contained. You know, we think about, you know, you have <laughs> some leftover food and you put all the food in one box, right? And if there's food sloshed on the counter, sloshed on the table, you got to clean it up. Uh, if there's food still in the pan, you got to clean it up. You got to decide what to do with it. Well, we do that with our leftover food, but do we do that with ourselves that can be so messy and so distracted and pulled in so many directions? And often by what you just said, our own desires, you know, our desire to be famous, our desire to be wealthy or whatever that might be, that we need to put in check by being honest with ourselves and taking that to God ultimately. Yeah. And if you, that idea of self-possession, if you do not possess yourself, then you have no right to give that possession, so to speak, away. If I don't own mm. something, it like if I don't own, you know, if I, it's my neighbor's car, I have no right to give my neighbor's car away. But if I own it, I have every right to. And if I don't own, possess myself, I cannot really truly be a gift to others. And this is the key. How do you possess yourself? By allowing God to possess you. We allow God in, into the ugliness, into all those dark places that we're hiding from everyone else. And we're like, God, come on in. And I love this. This is why the thorn exists. Because God is not as much interested. I know this is crazy to say this, but God is not so much as interested in healing us as he is in intimacy with us. So sometimes he allows a wound, a thorn or something to exist so that we can call out to him and start to have conversations with him and to let him in. And we begin to have intimacy. And I love today's gospel. Today's gospel, this feast today is beautiful because you got Martha, Mary and Lazarus. Lazarus is dead. And Jesus, as some Martha, Mary send, you know, emissaries or people to go get Jesus. Lazarus is dying. Jesus says, okay, great. And because the scripture is so crazy with this, it says, because the Lord loved him, he remained on for two days. <laughs> it was like, he didn't go. He waited two days. What? He, because he loved them. What is this? And, and you find out later on in the passage, I think it's in eleven fourteen in John, where Jesus says, so by, there's two purposes. Why does he wait? So the son of man may be glorified. But then he says later on in, I think, verse 14, he says, that you may believe. And the Lord sometimes holds off on healing the Lazaruses in us. He, in, why? Or coming to Martha and Mary in us too soon because he wants the need to be so real, so felt, so understood that we know that when he does come through, how much he cares and loves us. And at the same time, it increases our faith and our trust and our relationship with him, which is at the core and center of everything God wants from us. He wants our hearts. He wants our love. He doesn't just want our obedience. That's nice, but he wants us. 
And that's so profound for us to see how far you can go in understanding why God allows us to sin and why it is important that we then turn to him. And the role of confession in this whole journey is so important. And, you know, if you haven't been reading between the lines and seeing the connection to reconciliation, praise God we're Catholic and we have that great sacrament. Go make the time, plan the time, go regularly, at least a monthly. That's been Devin Schatt from the Fathers of St. Joseph. Find him at fathersofstjoseph.org. I've also tagged him on social media. Be sure to check them out there. I'll come back talking about Candace Cameron, St. Martha today on her feast day, and more on the gender ideology front. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Okay, so all week on social media, you may have heard the news of the drama with Candace Cameron Burr, the Fuller House, Full House actress, that childhood actress many people have loved. And maybe you love her from Hallmark movies, ladies. Gentlemen, you can too. Hey, I know you guys are out there as well. But so... If you know anything, Jojo Siwa uh, called Candace Cameron the the rudest celebrity she has ever met. Jojo Siwa is an American dancer, singer, YouTuber. Uh, Most or a lot of young kids follow her and watch her. She's known for appearing on two seasons of Dance Moms, if you ever watched that reality TV show when she was a very young girl, and has become quite the pop sensation herself. And so she posted this TikTok video of, you know, who's the nicest celebrity, who's the coolest celebrity, and who's the rudest celebrity. And she said Candace Cameron Burr was the rudest celebrity she's ever met. It went viral all over social media, and it's been trending all week long. And I've kind of been intrigued by it uh, because there was really no reason that was ever shared as to why Candace Cameron Burr is such a beast. And I was a little surprised because Candace Cameron, as many of us know, is pro-life, holds to a strong Christian conviction. She even wrote a whole book titled Kindness about, uh, I think it's called Kindness is like the new classy. Uh, So it's something that she, kind of a mantra thing that she really tries to live by is being kind. And so I don't think that what happened next is just a publicity stunt. I really do believe Candace Cameron from the depth of her heart was actually saying, what did I do? What happened? So here's what's really interesting. So uh, Jojo Siwa didn't really comment on why she called Candace Cameron such a bear, uh, the rudest celebrity she ever met. And Candace Cameron didn't comment on it either until a video went up over the last couple of days, a five minute long video that Candace Cameron posted on social media explaining the situation. And I, can I just say, am so impressed by this entire situation and it should be a example for many of us. So Candace Cameron right away started trying to contact Jojo. She started reaching out to through her publicist, wrote her on social media. Eventually she ends up getting her contact information through a friend of a friend and literally calls Jojo up on the phone. And you know, starts with a very pleasant exchange. Jojo's totally nice to her, kind of like, hey, how are you? What's up? And from the get-go, Candace Cameron is kind of taken aback. Well, I'm doing okay. I've been better. And she starts by asking Jojo, 
what what happened like what did i do to you listen to a little bit of what candace cameron had to say about her exchange with jojo siwa what did i do to you what did i do um i said because i only remember that we met at the kelly clarkson show and that went really great and she goes yeah i know it was great and you're super nice and all of that i said so what did i do and she told me she said i met you she said she actually didn't want to tell me because she said it's so silly she felt bad and that's why it just wasn't a big deal to her but then she said you know i met you at the fuller house premiere and i was 11 years old and we were all on the red carpet and when i had i had come up to you and i said can i have a picture with you and you said to me not right now and then proceeded to do what you were doing and take pictures with other people on the red carpet and i was like Oh, Jojo, I'm, I'm so sorry. And she's like, yeah, no, 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 you weren't even mean. And she goes, and I get it now as an adult, when you're on the red carpet and everything's happening and you're being pulled in different directions. But at that time I was 11 and I go, and I kind of broke your 11 year old heart. I didn't take a picture with you. And I was like, oh, I feel crummy. I feel Jojo. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And she was like, it's seriously not a big deal, but I do remember that. And I said, okay. I said, but please know, especially as a mom, uh, it breaks my heart that I made you feel that way. And, and I'm sorry to your mom too, that I did that to her daughter, because I know if anyone crosses my kids, like mom bear comes out. Okay, I am so taken aback by this whole exchange. So Candace Cameron actually picks up the phone and calls up JoJo Siwa after JoJo Siwa publicly calls her out via TikTok saying that Candace Cameron, the full house celebrity, is the rudest celebrity she's ever met. Someone who's, you know, proposed to be a Christian, is pro-life. You know, I think some people consider Candace Cameron to be on the better side of the role models in Hollywood, much better side of role models. And so I think this came as a bit of a shock to many people, myself included. And I was so grateful to see that Candace Cameron didn't try to, you know, make this huge PR stunt, setting the wreckage straight, dismissing JoJo. No, she called JoJo up and literally asked JoJo, like, what happened? What did I do? Because she could not recall anything that happened other than briefly meeting her once at like a Kelly Clarkson show, as she mentions. And what stands out to me is, first of all, Jojo C was embarrassed to share with Candace or even publicly. She wasn't sharing publicly why she considered Candace Cameron to be the rudest person. But what it ends up coming down to is Jojo Siwa was 11 years old and asked for a celebrity, someone she looked up to and was excited to meet and see. She asked to take a photo with her. And that sweet 11-year-old heart wound stands with her all the way to today when Jojo Siwa is 19 years old. And I find it fascinating because Candace got it instantly. She's like, okay, I get it. You know, I broke your 11-year-old heart. I'm sorry to you. I'm sorry to your mom. She's like, I would be so offended even as a mom. A mama bear would come out. And I think that this speaks volumes to one example of a Christian witness in Hollywood. And that is what Candace Cameron has been and has been for years. Perfectly not what I'm arguing for, because I think it's always easy to point out the faults, especially in our so-called Christian role models. Uh, 
But Candace goes on to point out a number of things without smearing JoJo in any way. Candace Cameron admits the wrong, you know, says she's so sorry, and it was a lesson learned for Candace herself. But she also goes on, I think, in a really tactful way without smearing JoJo in any way whatsoever about how what we post on social media, even if it is just a short and silly thing such as answering a question, such as who's the rudest person you've ever met, can actually have a lot of consequences and be a big deal. And I will say myself, at the beginning of the week when I saw this whole story trending, I went, wow, so Candace Cameron's being called one of the rudest people out there. I wonder why. Didn't look into it until the story continued to unfold. But we didn't know why. The story didn't come out in full. And it goes to show that hurt feelings in various situations and private conversations can lead leave very long-lasting impressions on many people. It actually made me recall, um, a, I guess you could argue, a Catholic celebrity that I met probably 12 years ago or so, who I had the opportunity to work on a project with her, and she was so rude so rude like every interaction I had with her that day was terrible left a bad impression in my mouth all the way to today Grant there are a lot of things that could have been going wrong I do know that she had a cold at the time it's easy to make excuses for people and it's easy not to make excuses for people and what's interesting is that Jojo Siwa even though she gets it she acknowledges that Candace Cameron Burr was on the red carpet she was in a situation that many people have been in and sometimes you just can't do it all and give everything you need to to fans and Candace happened to say politely to Jojo's little girl I can't right now she didn't tell her no just not right now but then when on to take photos with other people on a red carpet. So Candace is saying let's be careful with what we post and even in short form on social media but also talked about how sometimes we don't always give other people our best or we don't always catch the best side of others and there's room to leave a little bit of grace. I do think that we live in a very unforgiving culture, unforgiving of ourselves as well as unforgiving of others. First impressions are a big deal. However, it's so easy to, I think, misunderstand and misrepresent people, a situation in, especially in a culture where so many people are so lonely, that social media and social connection happens on such a massive level that we need to recognize the importance of giving additional time in giving people the benefit of the doubt, building relationships, and even making character judgments. Yes, First impressions are important. However, we do need to give time to know and truly understand other people. Not making excuses, but actually understanding context and situations. But at the end of the day, this whole thing, I think, comes back to the openness, I would say honesty and integrity of Candace Cameron in many ways. And I think it's uh, fitting, especially today on the feast day of St. Martha. We know the story of St. Martha and her sister Mary. And when St. Martha, the most common story we think of is when St. Martha complains to Jesus that while Jesus and all of his disciples are there at their home and St. Martha's serving everyone, Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and not helping her sister. And St. Martha, trying to be a good hostess, is exacerbated at a certain point, trying to do everything on her own. And when she complains to Jesus Christ, it's a legitimate complaint. But she also accepts the correction. And I think that Candace Cameron had a legitimate complaint. She didn't go to social media complaining about JoJo smearing her name. She went directly to the person and said, what did I do? And that shows a tremendous amount of integrity 
and humility. And I think in St. Martha, in a certain respect, we see the same. St. Martha wasn't sitting here saying, hey, look at me, I'm doing everything. She's saying, tell my lazy sister to get up and help me. And it's easy to point at the faults of others, but it's also easy to complain about the own experiences we're having. And what I admire so much about Candace Cameron in this whole situation is that she didn't go around saying, woe is me. She clarified, she made it one-on-one. She went to her neighbor, clarified what was happening. And yes, she shared on a public platform what happened, but she also acknowledged she broke 11-year-old's heart. That's not something easy to say, especially for someone who that clearly mattered to her. So kudos to Candace Cameron. And today on St. Martha's Feast Day, let's pray for the virtue of humility that even in the midst of all of our complaining, because let's be honest, we can all do that, that we have the honesty, integrity, and humility to admit sometimes when we've done something wrong or maybe when not we've not done something sinfully wrong, we could choose a better part like Mary in sitting at the feet of Christ as in the story of Martha and Mary. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. Oh boy, there's so much I want to talk about. Okay, first I want to touch briefly on the fact that you may have heard, and I do think this is an important thing to just bring up briefly. It's disgusting to even think about, but Governor DeSantis in Florida just filed a complaint this week against a bar in Florida, the R House, and the complaint came out after a viral video surfaced recently that showed a drag queen in underwear that were filled with money, holding a little girl's hand and walking this little girl around the bar by hand. Governor DeSantis filed the complaint identifying the little girl as between the ages of three and five. The R House is possibly facing losing its liquor license uh, upon if this is something that actually occurred, which again, there's a video out there. But I so appreciate that DeSantis, Governor DeSantis is willing to say, you know, this is so inappropriate, so not okay. I'm filing a complaint. We need to get to the bottom of this because how far the LGBTQ movement has gone in brainwashing and chemically castrating and physically castrating children is horrible. But the sexualization of our kids is unacceptable. And we need to be blowing the whistle on this. And this is something that Governor DeSantis is doing very clearly. While we're on that note, I spoke about a little bit yesterday, but the FDA has come out this week. Officials from the FDA are warning that the puberty blocking drug known as gonadotrypin that releases hormones that prevent puberty from happening. It's a part of the process and the whole gender brainwashing and chemical castration and intervention for children who so-called identify as someone of the opposite sex. Well, what's come out is that this drug, when used, is doing things such as causing brain swelling, loss of vision, headaches, vomiting, increase in blood pressure, and motor paralysis in the nerves for young children. Some of the studies on children were done specifically on young girls between the ages of 5 and 12. Why 5 and 12-year-olds are receiving this is absolutely disgusting. Some were receiving it for other reasons, but some were receiving it for the ex- in the study for the explicit reason of so-called identifying as a different gender. So what's interesting is from what we know from this is the symptoms range began ranging from anywhere between three days and 240 days. So approaching, you know, almost a year after beginning the puberty blocker gonadotropin. Now, what's interesting is that This is so experimental. Everything from the puberty blockers to the cross-sex hormones, especially used on children. We know cross-sex hormones, so-called hormone replacement therapy, as they like to refer to it, 
is a huge unknown. We don't know the full long-term effect. We know some side effects that include being cancerous, permanent damage in the development of puberty, permanent sterilization, among many other things. But everything that has come out in this week, a warning from the FDA, clearly should make it so that no person is okay with giving these drugs to children. No one. And I find it so disgusting that so-called health officials under the Biden administration, such as Levine, who identifies as a woman but is actually a man, is here as a medical professional saying that gender-affirming care is life-saving, medically necessary, and age-appropriate, and a critical tool for healthcare providers. And he goes on to say, because he is not a she, he says, I know how important care that affirms someone's true identity can be. This is absolute hogwash. This is not medical care because there's nothing wrong physically with this child. This is damaging for a child's body and psyche, and it's truly damaging their bodies for life. And we do not know the full long-term outcome. And so the FDA warning is something we need to sound the whistle on. We need to not be afraid to tell the truth because let's be true about this. There are people I know who never thought that they would see their child struggling with gender dysphoria. And school administrators and other people are pushing for cross-sex hormones and puberty blockers. And we need to be there to tell the truth. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. I receive a lot of questions, especially in relation to the abortion issue right now with everything that's happening. I had a question come in from Lindsay Michael on Facebook. She said, I was wondering if you might be able to touch base about what the new abortion laws might mean for a dilation and evacuation, a DNA uh, procedure. Sometimes performed as an abortion, but a DNA can also be used in the instance of a woman who has had a miscarriage, the baby has died, the baby has not uh, passed or been delivered by the woman. And so what needs to be done to make sure that an infection doesn't set in is a DNA procedure is often performed to extract an already deceased baby from the mother's womb when the woman has experienced the loss of a baby via miscarriage. So let's be really clear to start out with. A DNA as an abortion goes in and intentionally kills a baby. A DNA, that is a dilation evacuation, um, goes in and extracts a baby that has already deceased after the loss of a baby via miscarriage. So Lindsay said she's reading that women will not have access to this basic DNA procedure when they miscarry under the new pro-life laws that are being passed and already implemented across the nation. I have covered this many times before, but we need to set the record straight. That is an absolute lie. The DNA procedure is 100% accessible still to women who have had miscarriages. And in fact, it's also really important to understand that women who are seeking out abortions, even if they have an abortion, none of the pro-life laws that have been passed in the United States have, of late, have actually included a punishment for the woman seeking an abortion. So it's really important that we understand, one, women are not being punished who have had abortions. The people who help to gain access to the abortion and provide the abortion, because the pro-life movement understands that in our culture, women are the second victim of abortion. 
not just the baby, but the woman as well in this very pro-abortion culture. But two, women who experience miscarriages will not be illegally punished and will still have access to basic medical care that they need, including procedures to help take care of the mom and care for the baby and extracting the baby from the woman's body. I actually explained this in further, even taking some of the arguments of cases of women who it's been claimed that they were punished for having miscarriage. It's a total lie. I explain it in the podcast. I'll post a link on social media in the podcast notes now, but we need to set the record straight because the lie the pro-abortion movement is spreading. This is Timory from Trending with Timory. During our weekly happy hour on Monday, I'm going to talk about how being Catholic should make us happy. If not, something is going wrong. Something's amiss and we need to figure out what that is. But our Catholic faith should bring about happiness and ultimately true joy. So join me Monday for our weekly happy hour, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.